What's up, everybody? Welcome to the VSM Real Estate Podcast, getting you closer to massively successful people in the Twin Cities real estate market. I'm your host, Andre Anderson, today joined by Ryan Schroeder. Hey, hey, hey. And our guest, Cindy Coble, founder of TitleSmart. Hello. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's fun to be here. This will probably be the biggest celebrity we have on the podcast <laughs> this year. For sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> That's a sad story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure is. Well, for everybody that doesn't know you, uh, I'm pretty sure everybody does know you. But for those that don't, uh, could you maybe kind of introduce yourself, uh, uh, what Title Smart is, and uh, kind of how you got started? Certainly. So I'm Cindy Coble, the owner of Title Smart, and we are a title company. So we do the title searches, we make the requirements as to what would be needed for a proper title transfer, and then we execute that and provide the settlement between the parties, exchange the money, record the transfer, that type of stuff. And as a title insurance company, we're actually insuring the title and issuing a policy that a customer could file a claim on if something came up later. Yeah. How would you say TitleSmart differentiates itself from the competition? Because I, I can give an opinion on that, but I'm curious to see how you feel you guys stand out amongst a, a sea of options oh you got an hour yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah no we got one minute yeah yeah okay all right one minute, that was that one minute. So, well i like to say that we provide an extraordinary or an extraordinary experience mm-hmm. and i just had somebody who emailed me yesterday one of our vendors who does all of our furniture and she said oh after doing all of your spaces and being in your office so many times i just had a closing at another company the other day which was a fail mm-hmm thing she sent me by the way and um she says when i was in there i realized immediately that what you guys are providing was definitely several steps up from the competition yeah Mm -hmm. and i was like yep that is the goal we want you to come in here we want you to feel like okay i can relax and i can enjoy the moment of buying a house i would agree that it's like the normal transaction but done at a higher level so every experience that i had with title smart your closers are a cut above the the rest with the competition as far as their knowledge and professionalism. The experience when you're there, the everything from the cleanliness to the gifts that you're providing on the table to the cookies and coffee and everything. It's just Those the, the, the ambiance. Everything <laughs> is just like a, another level above your competition. And that's a big reason why I continue to work with Title Smart. So. It's all those little things that yes, make such is. a big difference. Isn't that one of yeah. your slogans? It's it the is. little things or something? So, yep. And yeah. I hear, every time I hear it, I'm like, my ears perk up. <gasps> Somebody said my thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree with all of that. Every single time that I go to Title Smart for a closing, I'm like, this is definitely going to be just a great experience, you know, for not only us, but like the, our customers and clients and everything like that. So I had to work with a different title company for a double uh, sale or double closing transaction about a month and a half ago. And it was such a train wreck. Not only would they refuse to come to me, which I've gotten accustomed to certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then secondly, uh, when I went there to their location in St. Louis Park, which isn't exactly close to me, um, I had to wait for one hour and 45 minutes for a correct <gasps> settlement statement because she kept getting it wrong and double charging fees and all this kind of stuff. And then she tried to get me to sign a piece of paper saying that I received 1099 proceeds that I didn't receive and I refused to sign it. And it was a big debacle. And by the time I was done with the closing, I ended up having to call my ex-wife to pick up my son because there was no way I was going to make it across town in rush hour to pick him up. So I was irate and I laid into them a little bit. And all I could think about is, this would have never happened with Title Smart. Right. I would be like, just sign this. And you're like, okay. Yeah. Well, because there's a trust level there, too. That's true. You know, and I'm it's not reciprocal trust, you. too. If yeah. I tell you I'm going to do something, you know it, too. So Yeah. 
Um, oh, that's important. It, it is. is. Yeah, definitely. So how did you decide to get into the title industry then? Start Title Smart. Well, uh, t- well, those are two whole different little avenues. Let's but start at Title Smart because I know you've been in the title business yeah, prior so, to that. So. Yeah. So I was in the business for I don't know twenty some years, and I was working for another title company, running it for them as vice president. And we had built it to six offices, and the ownership was starting to shift. And things were getting a little weird with the owner group. So I thought, well, gosh, I've been doing this for a while. I can just do it for myself. Mm-hmm. So I just. Woke up one day and I'm like, okay, I'm going to start my own title company. I told my sister and she's like, what? I don't want to leave. I'm really happy. And I go, well, it's just what we're going to do. And she's like, okay. So then we just went out. I incorporated the business and 60 days later we were open. Was that 2007? Yeah. So it was like the worst time in the year ever that you could open a company. And um, we really had no money. I had to borrow 30 grand from my mom. And we rented this little tiny thousand square foot space upstairs, which was a problem if you have somebody with handicaps. But mm-hmm. at the time, we were just sure. like desperate and wanted, it, yeah. yeah, refurbished computer computers and you know a little tiny modem and small network. And we opened up, and then we're like, "Where's the business?" <laughs> literally, the bottom completely fell out of the market, or the housing bubble burst. Yeah. So we just. So early on, did you go after more of that foreclosure business at all or through the banks? Or was it always kind of coming through the realtors? Mostly through the realtors. Mm-hmm. I didn't do any bank-owned transactions okay. except for the few that filtered through from our realtors. But mm-hmm. I did a lot of short sales. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, everybody at the time was like, oh, yeah, we can do these short sales after a sheriff sale, which had never really been heard of before. But we pioneered it and got really good at it and a lot of those over the next three years until things leveled out. Yeah. But, awesome. yeah, it was really just one customer at a time. You know, everybody, you, you mentioned that you started your business in the Great Recession. And obviously, as you know, so did I. Um, in some ways, I still think it might have been the best time to start a business because um, it was like it's just really been ascending ever since. You yes. know, like everything has kind of worked out for us in terms of market conditions it's only gotten better every year yeah you know? plus you didn't have these huge this huge payroll yeah. and all these leases on all these buildings and you could just kind of and people were willing expensive. to work for less back in the yeah. great recession too you yes. know um there wasn't that what i feel is kind of an entitlement issue nowadays where people are so well paid and comfortable that they don't want to try as hard people were fighting for their lives back then right so. and less talent just applying mm-hmm. for jobs right now with this yeah. great economy yeah totally agree so I do see that, yes. But, it, you know, it's it's surreal. There's days I walk around the office and I'm like, what? Hey, this is like serious company. What happened? <laughs> so, I can imagine. Yeah. Every time I go to, you know, your main headquarters there, I'm just like, wow, look at all these people and cubes and how big it's gotten and everything. You've, you've done differently than I. You focused on one thing, whereas I kind of had entrepreneurial ADD and went like all to, over the place. So. And I do like to dabble, but my husband's always like reeling me back in. Stay focused. <laughs> he always gives me this little talk that says, do you want to do 10 things okay or one thing really, really great? Right. And I'm like, well, I want to do both. I want to do 10 <laughs> but, things great. <laughs> yeah. Where, where is there yeah. C, all yeah. of the above? I, do. I can do both. I can do both. But then, you know, all of a sudden it'll get really busy and I'm like, okay, I got to push all this stuff aside for a while and just focus on my main business and then, you know, if you're not giving your 100% to everything, you're not going to get that 100% back. That's a probably a great segue into one of the questions or one of the topics here in your book. 
Yeah, for sure. So in your book, you kind of describe uh, how important uh, and how much of a cornerstone building good connections, genuine connections and uh, relationships are. Could you kind of describe your philosophy on that? Well, my philosophy is that it's all about relationships and friends help friends. And I, I, I get a lot of different vendors that are approaching me and wanting to sell me this product or that product. And I feel like it's their responsibility to find a way, and I don't care how they do it, but they need to find a way to break the barrier and make a connection with me and build a relationship. It shouldn't be uh, just assumed that they're going to pick up the phone and, and I'm going to order something from them. And a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you know, we want to sell you this, we want to sell you that. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't understand. I have a really solid relationship with my bank or with my furniture company. And, and unless something goes wrong with that, that's firm. And so by building those relationships with your clients, that's just going to lead to that. So how did you build the relationships with your realtor network? Because that's where you're getting your business. I mean, One relationship at a time. <laughs> yeah. So it's really a little bit like, okay, I picked, I, I, I did a closing. I did a great job. And then the customer saw the work that I was doing, the real estate agent, and then called me after the fact and said, I'd like a closing like that. So then we did a transaction together. And then they referred me to somebody else in their office. And then I built that relationship. And then uh, just genuinely listening and paying attention to the details like sometimes I will go out to a closing and I'm going to see one of my realtors there and I will bring something from my trinket stash that I know that his wife likes. And that just goes a long way. Sure. One thing I've noticed about Title Smart is when I first started, I was doing closings with you and then I had probably about four different closers over the years. But there's never been like that drop off in quality. How are you able to attract and retain talent um, in such a competitive environment? I'm picky. <laughs> well, you have to lead by example. Mm -hmm. So I always make sure that I'm walking the walk. And even the other day, somebody's like, why do you park way back here? And I'm like, because I ask everybody else to park way back here. So I need to do the same. Mm -hmm. And so when people see me walking the walk with the customer, they would like to, they want to do that too. I've always been impressed whenever I send you an email, you seem to respond within 10 minutes, often within five minutes. I don't know how you... Or five seconds. Yeah, you're like... I've had times where I see like zero minutes ago on the on the reply. I'm like, geez, that was insane. Um, so yeah, you definitely have that uh, customer service, you know, ready to serve type of attitude. And I think that's always been a, a big factor for me too, where when you're dealing with a, uh, excuse me, a, a vendor who you're giving business to, you want to be treated like the customer and you want to be treated like you're important, not that you're leading the transaction and you're trying to follow up and hold them accountable to their role. And so right. I think you guys do a great job with that as well. Thank so, you. Yeah. I mean, I write, I did a whole chapter in my book about that. I mean, the chapters are short, but it's response is everything. So I get a little OCD about that. But like right now, I'm doing this podcast, so I won't be responding to any, to any emails or text messages until I get out. But Does that give you anxiety? Not really, but I will respond right away when yeah. I have a free minute, and it may not be the huge answer yeah. they're looking for, but it'll be like, oh, got it, I'll take care of this, or yep, thank you, just a quick little response so they know it's off their plate and onto mine. 
Yeah, no, sometimes people don't do that, and you're the other person. Like if you're on the kind of like the receiving end, or you sent it, and you're like, "Oh, did they get it?" Yeah. You know, now you're kind of getting. Yeah, anxiety, it's like at least tell me to you know go take a hike, but don't just not respond to my email. Mm-hmm. Response means I'm not important. You don't care about responding back. Right. Mm-hmm. No response. I I get the feeling with the other title company that I mentioned earlier when I was following up two weeks a week three days before closing asking about the settlement statement and stuff like that, that it just would have never gotten done had I not pressed the issue. And so that was such a bizarre experience for me because typically whether it's, you know, Maria or Natalie or Amber or anybody I've worked with over there, I kind of get to be the lazy slouch. And then they're the ones saying, Hey, I need this. And (laughs) here's, here's where we're doing your closing. Here's where you need to be. The leadership in the transaction is huge. Like that's certainly the expectation on us when we're, functioning as a realtor we're not telling we're not waiting for the customers to ask us hey are we going to do an inspection and what's up with the appraisal like we should be telling them here right. are the here are this you know the milestones so. well and think of the missed opportunity from that other title company because here they had an agent mm-hmm. that they were working with on a transaction that they just kind of blew off and just dragged their feet on everything now if you would have if they would have went in there and just blown you away you might have been like wow there's two good title companies mm-hmm. <laughs> But they, you know, missed opportunity. And that's where I'm like, hey, closers, you got a new agent. First time you're working with them, you got to blow it out of the water every time. But you will really blow it out of water this time. For sure. (laughs) Because that can create a residual relationship. First impressions are huge. That's for sure. So um, one of the things that Andre and I have heard uh, that's kind of coming around the pike in the title industry is the whole e-sign and e-notarization yeah. here. Um, that's pretty wild. How Tell us about that and how you think it'll affect things. It's here. I mean, I could do one today if I needed to, and I'm, I'm looking for the perfect test case. So we'll see if you've got something. <laughs> I mean, ideally, um, I want to... I would like to do my first e-notary, e-signing with somebody who's, you know, like a veteran mm-hmm. or something out of state. But it doesn't have to be that way. But I have a platform now that I'm all registered with. And um, so with Minnesota, your notary has to be a Minnesota notary. And so that took a little while because a lot of the title companies are still saying, well, I don't want my closers responsible for that, da, 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 da. But the platform is really nice because basically I can set up all of my documents in this system and I can apply all of the signature notary tags. And I think it's very similar to how do you guys do your purchase agreements mm-hmm. and DocuSign. And then I can invite whoever I want into that session. And then when the customer logs in, there's a whole vetting process of questions that come like from the credit bureau to verify their identity nice. and their ID gets scanned. And then once they've completed that process, then it connects the notary, me or the closer, to them. And then they've got this live session. And the realtor could even be in on it or somebody else. And then you just go through one at a time. I push them the document. I can say, this is your warranty deed that you're signing, dot, 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 dot. Here's where you're going to sign. And then they push it back to me. I notarize it. And then I push them the next document. And all of our metro area counties are set up to accept these documents now. And here's the funny thing. Sorry to talk so long, but um, 
last or when the statute first came out, there was a, a company in Virginia that was doing these Virginia notaries. And so there was a little bit of speculation and people were wondering you know, what they could do with that. But then once the Minnesota statute passed and said that it had to be a Minnesota notary, that kind of pushed them off the map. Then all the title companies were talking about it and through like the Minnesota Land Title Association and American Land Title Association. And they were saying, you know, this is how we're going to handle it. So I just kind of sat back and I thought I kind of lead everything when it comes to new technology. So I'm going to sit back and watch and see what everybody else does. Well, then I waited like nine months and then I came in and I thought, okay, I'm sorry to ask everybody what they're doing. Nobody did anything. So I'm like, really? So now I got to do this too? So anyways, I did all the investigation on it, and I, I think we're going to lead the way on this new platform. It's, it's good to be out Very front, soon. though. Yep. You know, I was busy. I was opening some new offices, and I thought, okay, you know. I'll, Let somebody I'll, else pioneer this yeah, one? Yeah, I'll just get some opinions on things. And then once I started digging into it, I'm like, okay, you know, I need something that's really accepted, like, nationally and with all the underwriters and with all the counties. And I think it's more just a learning curve. Once I get all my closers up and running on that, it's going to really be awesome. Do you see the application more for, you know, out-of-state buyers and investors? Um, or do you, can you see your traditional John and Jane home buyer seller um, wanting to go that route because I feel like it's such an emotional transaction and going to the closing table is sort of the, the yeah. pinnacle of the transaction. So I'm just curious what you think. Yeah, I think we're going to, it's going to take a while for it to really get to that point. But I think, yes, your, your buyer that's out of state or your buyer that's really busy, doesn't want to be bothered, doesn't really want to come to a closing any type of cash transactions or business transactions, those could all be done through that. The one thing that's held up right now is the buyer conforming new financing because uh, those big, uh, like Fannie and Freddie, they're, they're just not ready for it yet with the promissory note. And so until they get that piece together, they're not going to be allowing those. But right now they still have kind of a hybrid closing. So... What will happen is they'll still have their closing appointment scheduled with me. And then some of the documents the morning of closing will be pushed to them, and they can e-sign them from their phone. And then they'll come in and sit down with me and sign the ones that I need to discuss with them. And then they still have to sign a little stack of what they call wet documents, with real ink. Mm -hmm. And then we have to upload those back to the lender. So I... I to me, a hybrid is like more work, really, for me, because mm -hmm. then we're really jumping in and out of these two platforms versus just whipping through a stack of documents. Yeah. But once they get over that hurdle, it's going to be really cool. Yeah. How will um, how will things affect with the refinance market? Because um, lenders, if are they able to do this as well, or just title companies able to facilitate the e? I think lenders could too, but lenders are not title people. Uh -huh. So a lot of times they just don't want to get their hands dirty with okay. that. Yeah. Especially if they have anything tricky on the title commitment. Like I do a lot. I have a bank in North Dakota. I do a lot of second mortgages and it's, it's more private banking. So mm -hmm. bigger loan amounts. And anytime there's anything outside of just one mortgage to pay off on the title work, they want us to handle the closing. Otherwise they close everything in house. But a contract for deed or a trust, mm -hmm. forget it. They don't want to do anything because that's not their expertise. Well, sure. I can certainly yeah. appreciate that as an investor outsourcing 
the the difficult aspects of the title uh, process. I mean, it provides a lot of value, right? Yeah. I think. Yeah, and there's Mostly just so many variables. Wrong, you know? Yeah, there's so many variables that could be that could come up because I could say, well, is it abstract or torrens? You know, are you married or divorced? Or it, 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 what county is it? All these little things can play into how we handle that signing or how we handle that closing. I probably did ten or so contract for deed closings myself when I was the buyer back yeah. in the day, and trying to figure out how to do the ECRV and then present everything just perfect to the county exactly how they want it. I never actually got it done right on the first time. It actually got kicked back at least once, sometimes twice. And then there's that embarrassing moment where you have to go back to the other person in the transaction and execute new documents or, you know, put something in you missed. And then as soon as I had it done uh, by you guys, I was like, okay, this is worth the fee for just not embarrassing myself so well and there's just weird rules like they just changed the rule on state deed tax for the minimum well how would you know that right but i know that because we have to send stuff through recording but i always tell agents when i'm working with them i'm like no kitchen table closings <laughs> and that's closings without me mm-hmm. for sure so so do you see any new opportunities or threats that um have popped up in the title industry that you're kind of keeping your eye on? I'm kind of keeping my eye on all of this Zillow stuff. Okay. But you probably know a lot more than that. But I don't think it's a threat for the title industry. I worry more about the real estate industry. But I'm paying attention because if I need to shift something, I'm going to shift it. Uh, I would say the Zillow and all these, we call them like electronic or internet-based buyer type of organizations, I think they are a a real threat to the realtor industry. In fact, when I gave my little 2020 address to the company, that was a big focal point is, you know, we don't want to be flat footed um, waiting to see what happens. We want to be staying out in front of it and also pivoting more towards services that are more difficult to outsource. So, you know, providing renovations and, um, you know, just a little bit more of a concierge level service that you just aren't going to get from a call center and Taiwan or whatever. So. Right, but we still don't want to be blockbuster Netflixed. That's true. <laughs> right, <for sure. laughs> you have to stay on that cutting edge. Even I was listening to the radio the other day, some kind of talk radio, and they were talking about this uh, title. I don't, I've heard those where it's like title spec or whatever, where they want you to, you can call in and pay for a search to verify that nobody has stole the title to your house. I'm like, what? Hmm. But I think it's because of all these fraudsters and things that go on. But I was like, what? What's up with this? What is How it like the dark this? web commercial that reminds me of like, uh, see what your information is on the dark web, yeah. preying on people's fears, irrational or otherwise. I know. Um, Scaring the heck out of people. Yeah. Sure. Well, title search is important. I can definitely see it, but it's most important when you're making a transaction, you know, otherwise. Right. You know. I don't, I, I don't see myself just like perusing through my house title records just right. to see what's up out there. Just yeah, Exactly. Did yeah. it get stolen? Just, just for the sake of doing it. Well, and if somebody stole it, you could always do, or if somebody did record some transfer documents that were illegal, mm-hmm. you could always fight that. Right. But I guess that's probably what they're saying the coverage would be for. But it was, it was interesting to hear that. I'm like, what? This is my industry. What are you talking about? You gotta stay on top of those things. I bet. Yes. Uh, something with the e, uh, the e-notarization as well, I think... Uh, you know, 
every time I go into Title Smart, I always feel that you guys like roll out the red carpet. You know, there's always like a warm smile, welcome from the staff, all this kind of stuff. There's the gifts and the cookies and whatnot. So you really create like a, an amazing environment. Uh, how did you kind of develop that? Like through the years or was that kind of like an intention from the start when you first started Title Smart? Well, I always liked it and I did a lot of that at my other company, but not to this scale. And there was a lot of regulation in our industry from the Department of Commerce, places like that. And so I'm like, well, okay, I can't buy gifts for for customers, like realtors and lenders, because I don't want there to be an, a steering type situation. But I can definitely share some of my favorite little trinkets with our customers, the buyer and sellers who are actually paying our fees. And so slowly but surely, it just kind of organically grew to be like, you know, I really like this pink. So I'm going to make a keychain like that. Oh, I really like this calculator. Oh, let's get those. You know, and so and it, it, it's still happening like that today. I got my favorite little Title Smart swag of all time. The last time I was there it was like a little key flashlight thing oh. that you put on your <laughs> keychain or whatever. That thing was bright. Awesome. It was no joke. I don't even think I have one of those. Uh, <laughs> I got it from the Woodbury office. And um, I, I'm serious, like it'll light up the entire darkness i mean it's crazy so well people send me like screenshots of different things and so i'll just add them to my list of spring items and then come the new year i'll start kind of getting ready to roll out some different things and then other things that are old i'll phase them out you had a candy at one point too right like a chocolate bar or something I feel we like. still have those okay, yeah right, it's yeah. like it's just like a a, a like wrapper a- that goes around a hershey bar and so yeah. instead of the ingredients it might show a list of all of our offices in 100 uh, percent. oh nice kind of cute kind of yeah. clever yeah. yeah that is cute i'm working on a bunch of new stuff for 2020 i bet because it's 2020 2020 kind of do some sort of like 2020 vision play on words maybe i don't know um, so how do you, um, so obviously with like the advent of like e-notarization, uh, keeping that kind of like great atmosphere, uh, is probably going to be very important and, you know, being probably the industry leader, uh, that'll definitely behoove you to, you know, make more of an impact and kind of provide that better service. Is there like anything that you have ideas on to do that or like kind of like how it, you how are you going to send swag over yeah, the how internet? You, how you send <laughs> swag over the internet, you know? Well, it might be just more about the uh, experience with the people. I want them to feel really connected. And actually, I've always wanted to be able to do a Skype closing. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, if you have somebody who's out of state or out of the country, we have to either send them a packet of documents with a bunch of these little sign here and notarize here post-its stuck there and then uh, information and instructions. And sometimes they go through everything and they're just blind. And, or they may call during the process and they're like, what does this mean and what does that mean? Well, this way I would be right there with them through the process. And some states like California, they charge every time the notary stamps the stamp. Wow. And so they could pay, you know, $200 to have all those documents notarized plus all their fees that they're paying to sell the house. So, so it's just a little different in different areas. And this would save all that make it much more customized plus if the agent wanted to be there they could or if you wanted you know the husband and the wife were in two separate states you could have them together Mm -hmm. on the signing session it just there's just a lot of different things that will work the one thing that i see is maybe the challenge is the technology 
because I know because of the, the photo and some of the resolution matters for all the documents and the ID verification, they cannot be on a phone. They have to be on a computer. Hmm. There's always there's always some yeah. sort of thing sure. preventing it from going yeah. quite as smooth as it could. But a couple um, years that'll be resolved. Yeah. I, I've always thought the same is kind of coming down the pike for my side of the business as well, where um, purchase agreements, for example, um, there's no real reason they should be so scary to, to the consumers. If you had, if you had um, like almost like a TurboTax type of questionnaire where you just, you know, what does it say here? And, you, you know, you can enter in and all the fields and stuff like that. That's what I think is actually kind of one of the bigger threats for my side of it is as consumers get more information and technology evens the playing field, you know, how's that going to affect things? And so I think Zillow really is the one who um, is mostly responsible for evening the playing field. Even as a realtor myself, I use their tool more than I use the MLS tool. <laughs> uh, and, and it's the free one, not the one that I'm forced to pay for. Right. So, yeah. That's crazy. Well, I don't, have you noticed lately, um, with your closings with me, with our with Title Smart, that you've been getting text messages. Mm-mm. I haven't been getting text. Okay, so we we rolled this out in December, and so you know how you get your appointment notification for the doctor, like a reminder. Yep. Yep. Well, we have a whole system now. They call it a pizza tracker. So, in in everything is electronic to the buyer and to the agent. Some things are by email. Some things are by text message. But the cool thing is, is that they're getting reminders the day before closing now of their closing appointment and location. Mm-hmm. One of the biggest pain points in the closing industry is people showing up at the wrong place. <laughs> because a lot of times they'll get a, a letter in the mail from the title company telling them where to go, but they'll just like look at the letterhead and not look at the actual information mm-hmm. and then they'll just drive there. Or they'll go to the office that's by their agent's office just because they just figured it was there. Yeah. So this way they're getting just a quick little blurb with just a tiny little information that they can just zone in on. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, yeah I bet. Especially <laughs> for our, you know, our millennials. They right. love it. Yeah. <laughs> they do love their text messaging. I don't yes, know. they do. So, um, you know, with uh, you kind of spoke a little bit about some challenges with getting people. Is that like the biggest challenge, would you say, in the ongoing like day-to-day operations? Probably not. With recruiting? Yeah. You know, it, it seemed like in the last couple of years that it's really changed. I noticed this year we put out an advertisement for a specific type of clerical job. We got just a couple of applications for it. Usually we get hundreds. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, there you go. There's the shift. Because... The job market is just, you know, there's just so many people employed right now. So I'm noticing that I'm still uh, focusing on recruiting people at the entry level and training them up in my business right out of college. That's ideal for me. That's always what's worked best for me, too. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, getting them while they're still in that learning mode and and still very moldable and um, their expectations for pay are a little bit more reasonable as well. Yes. I mean, if for us, for example, and I'm sure it's similar for you, when you're trying to recruit somebody who's a heavy hitter, you know, they hold all the the cards, you mm-hmm. know, like a trying to get an agent, for example, who's in the top 10%. I mean, you better like be ready to lay down for, you know, whatever they want in order to get them over. So Yeah, lay down and roll over and yeah. slide off the cliff. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, plus people come sometimes with bad habits. Mm-hmm. And it, it is really nice to train people straight up. And I, I do love hiring people that have just kind of different degrees, unusual things. I think it's kind of fun. Come to think of it, Very we've got a lot of unusual degrees around here. Yeah. Probably none weirder than Daniel's poetry, but poetry. he didn't even really, he didn't, let's say he didn't get a degree, but <laughs> <laughs> he likes to remind me about his, uh, you know, one semester at Oxford or whatever. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I do, I do like that, I, you know. I, my husband always says, honey, you are just like that lion on the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Island of Misfit Toys, because <laughs> I'll just bring all kinds of different people into our fold and... They just fit in so perfectly. That's great. Yeah. So what's been like probably the biggest challenge for you over the past, you know, 13 years? Um, and what would be like a really great victory, do you think? Oh, the biggest challenge. Staff. Staff. And yeah. And, and not even um, recruiting's been pretty good. I would just say for me as a manager, because I'm still very hands on. I work every day at my business is just um, identifying quickly enough identifying a problem staff member and eradicating that <laughs> because a, a, a person who's not really on board with your culture can reap a lot of havoc cause a lot of damage and so that's been a big area of growth for me because I'm always just like oh well you know I really like them but you know oh, we'll, we'll make it work well I'll talk to them we'll talk to them and then I realized that that it's just not worth it <laughs> and last year I had a couple of people not naming names that I uh, really felt strongly about that I had to let go of, and we parted ways. But And then I looked at it six months later, and I thought, wow, this rest of this year has been so awesome because you just didn't have that little, you know, starting an issue over here, starting a little issue over here, gossiping here, nothing. It was just quiet as mouse. So I would say overall, my whole career, that has been my biggest challenge. Same. And, and carrying people's problems. Because as the owner of the company, if this person gets sick or has a family tragedy, it's up to you as the leader to care for them and to spread the word about taking care of things and to follow up with them. And, and I definitely want to do those things, but it's it's very heavy sometimes when you're carrying that for 100 people. Mm-hmm. For sure. You know what I mean? I do. But the business, that's great. <laughs> I, I, I feel the same way. Like the, the actual act of the business is the easy part. It's <laughs> it's uh, navigating personnel and issues and how do you motivate people? How do you hold them accountable? How do you know if they're the right or the wrong fit? How do I know if I've trained them well enough? How do I know if it's them or me? That's, you know, the issue. Yeah. And, and did you remember to ask them how their kid was? That was just sick. You know, just things like that. You know, you want to remember. But it's just hard to, to carry all those details mm-hmm. and be perfect all the time. Yeah, especially as you grow to, you know, probably like 100 people or something like that. Then you have so much more data and information to process, you know. Well, um, my husband and I, we were going to our company Christmas party, which we had downtown here. And on the way down there, he's like, why are you so quiet? And I'm like, I'm just preparing myself. Because for me, this is not a party. For me, this is work. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to be here. And I, I get a lot of joy from watching my staff have joy. But I have a lot of people who will be touching me and hugging me and talking to me. And by the end of the night, I'll be exhausted. I love it, but it still is exhausting. For sure. I get a little overstimulated sometimes. <laughs> so Got to have the quiet time. I know. Yeah. I can so appreciate that. I need, like, my super shield. 
Maybe take a Xanax. I don't know. And <laughs> <laughs> take those like Skittles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ting. So what oh. do you think has been the biggest victory then? Uh, just knocking our goals against the wall and smashing them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just noticed it. I set this super lofty goal for last year. And my marketing team was like, how are we going to do that? And I'm like, well, I'm thinking we could do it this way, this way, this way. And I kind of just was a little bit vague. And I, I made sure that we met every month a couple times and just went over what we were all doing and just try to inspire them. And as we were getting closer to the end of the year, I'm like, geez, we might make it. And then I said, well, you know, we might make our goal. I'm really trying. And then as we got in, it was like a week before the end of the year, and I emailed my accountant, and I'm like, I'm trying to set my goals for 2020. I want to see where I ended up with my 2019 goals. And they, he, he emailed me back, and we were like 60000 away in revenue. <laughs> and so I sat there, and I looked at all the closings that were going to happen on the 30th and 31st, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, we are going to kill it. And nice. we did. We crushed it. That's so amazing. it was just really fun. It just made my whole weekend. And then great start to the new year. <laughs> that is nice. I mean, I've watched your business grow from that townhome one in Maplewood to, you know, you got the headquarters and offices all over and, um, you know, more and more staff. And it's it's been pretty impressive to watch the, the growth. I mean, I can only make assumptions about how it's going, but what I can see with my eyes is it's just you're proliferating throughout the metro. So yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to watch. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'd be proud of that for sure. I'm very proud of it. Yeah. I am. You know, I always feel like I could do more. That's just the way it is. It's hard. Sometimes you have to remove yourself from your own perspective and try and look at it objectively from the perspective of some sort of third party and not be so hard on yourself because anyone else would look at your everything you've done and be think, oh, wow, what a success and all that kind of stuff. And then people like us, we probably focus a little bit more about what we left on the table over here or that, you know, could have done this better type of a thing. I have a little bit of that issue myself, but yeah, it's like, Oh, I could have done more closings mm -hmm. or I could have called this person back or I should have spent more time in my branch offices. Yeah. And I just, I don't want to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I, there are days though. And I'm sure you do the same thing. It's like when I get to work at eight, it's like full on by the time I get home, I just drop. My husband's like, you want to talk? I'm like, no. <laughs> Gotta get the, the shield off. I, I don't want to talk. <laughs> and then the next morning after a night's sleep, I'm ready. But yeah, after the long day, it's like I need to recharge. For sure. How do you recharge? It's funny because I'm a little bit different in that one regard because um, I'm going like a mile a minute. And then by the time I get home, I, well, I drive, I have a 45 minute drive to my house now since I live uh, in the boondocks. Um, so... But as soon as I get home, usually I want to just start vomiting all the thoughts and ideas and issues and whatever to Alina. And um, she'll usually tell me after about 15 minutes, like, OK, can we not talk about yeah. your work stuff now? Because, you know, and then I have to try and switch gears from, you know, being so hyper focused at everything that I do here to being a father of young children. And mm -hmm. um, I, I do need that little kick in the pants so that I can focus on you know, a one, a six and a 12 year old to make sure that I'm giving them everything that they need and not just so focused on myself and my businesses. So I know it's a tough challenge. We could add that to some of the toughest challenges list. Parenting. Sure. 
parenting and just balancing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, when I get home, I want to hear about his day. Other, I want tell me a story. Tell me what happened today at the build-out. But I don't want to talk about it. Sometimes I just need to process it and solve it, and then I'm ready later. Well, great. Yeah, that's it. So do you great have an, minds. do you have any advice for people that are looking to get into business? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I would say don't talk about it. Don't worry about all those little details and quit working and working and working to make everything perfect. Just get started. Just do it. And you can always just tweak things as you go. Slap it up on the wall and get going. That's that's funny. Um, the guy uh, reads something, I forgot his last name, who started LinkedIn said, um, if you're not embarrassed by the product that you put out uh, at first, you're, you waited too long, you know? And, <laughs> um, and I agree with that. Like everything I've done, I've... I've only got probably 30 to 50% of it figured out before I get into it. And then you get, you know, you take some bumps and bruises along the way, and but you add that knowledge to it. And then by the third time or so, you've kind of got it figured out well enough. So Yeah, it's just like, you know, if you want to invoice your first client, you don't really have an invoice. You have to make one. Well, just make one and mm-hmm. get it out. And the next time you'll have a prettier one. Mm-hmm. And then a year down the road, you have a special software that makes a perfect one. Yeah. But <laughs> you just got to go with what you have. Yep, for sure. So a lot of people get analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. That was what my dad used to tell me when we were when I was working with him as a business broker. He goes, he goes, you know how many people come through my door with aspirations of wanting to own a business? And then they start doing due diligence and looking into them and thinking, well, this isn't the perfect business. I'm going to have to keep waiting. And he goes, um, so many people just get stuck in that mode of thinking that there is a perfect this or uh, and, and there isn't like everything's going to have a little bit of hair on it. You're going to have to figure it out and you're gonna have to put your own touches on it it's well and i think people like the hair they do people like just a little bit more originality and not everything's so perfect it's just a lot more genuine well i like doing what i call value add i like taking something broken and making it great just because i feel like that's where the value is for one Mm -hmm. is something that no one wants uh (laughs) and then on top of it you get to be proud of the transformation that you were a part of. So. I agree. Yeah. It's like there's a need and now there's a fix. Yeah. I like it. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to cover at all before we uh, head up? Oh, what about you? <laughs> no, this is about Cindy. I tried. I've already ah. made it too much about me. So. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm like, I did think of something when we were talking, but now all of a sudden I can't think of it anymore. Just um, Do you have any more books on the docket? I have a lot of things in my folder that's called book two. Book two. It's just a lot of ideas and things. But, you know, it's it's not a really a career path for me. It's more of what my husband calls my expensive hobby. <laughs> but, you know, it's just more of a passion. Maybe someday I'll just write, write, write. But That's right how you now. know the difference between a hobby and a business is whether it's profitable. Right. <laughs> And there's just, you know, it's, it's really it's really a tough gig to make it in the book industry. But I've been able to leverage my book by doing some small speaking engagements and just throwing the book into there, into that. Or we use it for marketing at the business. So yeah, both of those client. books that I wrote and threw on Amazon and stuff, they were kind of a flop. I think I, I, think I spent more money on getting it digitally converted and getting the yeah. book cover made than the actual sales pumped out from yeah. it. Yeah. 
Um, it's, it was definitely a half of an half ego play, and then also just you know having some credibility out there and having a little link to your book and your email signature and stuff. People think, oh wow, you know. Right. And I, I think I just recently took mine off, but not that I don't want to sell my book, but so I need to change the scenery. Yeah. Right. For sure. I need to, you know, I like to, I don't want to have the same signature line forever. I got to freshen I'm, it up. I may, I may say that you probably have the most elaborate email signatures uh, I've ever seen. You know, they're just, they're, they're pretty and they're in depth and there's disclaimers and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Not mine. Mine does have a little graphic on it, but yeah, I try to keep it as clean. Because my kids will be like, Mom, you sent me that email and there's like 15 attachments. I didn't know which one to pick. So then I went in and cleaned <laughs> oh, up my Oh, yeah, thing. like your, all your little PNG images. files. Yeah, for the, yeah. so I'm, I'm yeah. trying to get our teams to just make one graphic with everything they want on it. So it just comes over as one. But, you know, That'd be a good it's idea. a process. Yeah, you keep learning. So, you know, um, I don't know. We didn't really talk about social media, but I think that's a pretty big deal to keep up on. Um, a lot of companies discount it, and I go to title conventions and different things and get ridiculed about it. But Why would you, you know. get ridiculed about it? Oh, jeez, you wouldn't believe it. I mean, in my industry, which is mostly male-dominated, which doesn't bother me, but um, I'll go in there, and when I tell them that I know how to do a settlement statement or do a closing, they're like, oh, I don't have time for such things. Because I'm like, well, what do you do? Well, I run the business. I'm like, yeah, I run the business too, but I do this and I run payroll and I watch the HR and I help with this and I do all these different jobs. And I'm like, well, if you don't do closings, you don't do title exams, you don't work any job in the business, what do you do? But they don't have time for such things. It's, it's got to be hard. Yeah, but I work very closely, even with Maggie, mm-hmm. uh, my daughter, and uh, our marketing team on every single post that goes up as far as like just ideas and philosophies and I think that keeps things just fun and fresh but a lot of people discount it they think oh even my son Alec who's young and then they're really into Snapchat and Instagram and I'm like yeah but you need to put your video business he has a video business Mm -hmm. uh, you need to put your uh, video business content on Facebook and he's like well I don't like Facebook and I go yeah but the people who can actually afford to pay for your services are there <laughs> so you need to be there that's funny so. you say that I always tell people too I'm like uh, whether or not it's the most popular platform Facebook is where the people who can afford our services are and that's mm-hmm. why we put most of our emphasis on it and using Facebook pixel and boosting posts and things like that and Understanding and leveraging social media has been very huge for VSM. That's part of our identity as a company. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, uh, we don't have the budget for billboards and, you know, Mm -hmm. radio ads and the other types of things. Yeah, buses with just dudes going like this. And YouTube Uh, videos, rap raps. (laughs) Well, maybe I can do that. but, (laughs) But there's so many things that keep coming and changing. And if you stay up on that, like the stories. Yeah. People are really, they really like that. And it's just kind of a quick little, oh, 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 there they are, there they are, there they are. Just always in mind. You know who's yeah. really good at social media over here, too, is Joe. Uh, I've noticed that he puts little personal anecdotes and, you know, questions and things, and it gets engagement from people. Sometimes often, like, double the engagement of some sort of marketing piece that we put together. And it's, it's yeah, it surprises fun. me. And um, I remember before Chris Lindahl became sort of the, you know, icon or whatever you want to call him that he is today. I watched him speak at this real estate mastermind 
uh, conference a few years ago. And one of the things that he mentioned on social media that, that stuck out to me is he'll take a picture of like himself ice fishing and say, guess how much it weighed. And he said, I got like 1800 responses with people guessing how much this fish weighed. And all I could think of is I would have never thought of that. Like everything we do from a content perspective is a little bit more um, pointed, but then we noticed that um, some of the, we decided to put like blooper videos from our podcast and those were a hit. Oh, people, bloopers are pe- good. People yeah. love like that personal stuff. It almost, I've almost come to the realization that the less you actually talk about your business, the more engaged the audience is. Um, they just want to kind of deal with people and humans, not like just be sold or advertised to. So yeah. And sure. people like that personal stuff because mm-hmm. like, I have an Instagram or my Instagram page is more the one that I use for my book. And so my marketing assistant runs that. So my daughter Paige goes, oh, no wonder why your Instagram is so boring. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like. It's impersonal. Yeah, because it's just like, you know, business, business. Mm -hmm. So I've started to go in now and add some of my own personal posts. Like I'm cooking this and I'm doing that. And those are the posts that get the most activity. I also think showing some vulnerability Mm -hmm. and sort of that authenticity is huge, too, because I've noticed that those tend to have higher engagement as well. Yeah. Um, Because, again, nobody wants to, like, just look at, oh, how perfect your Ferrari and Rolex and stuff are. You know, it doesn't quite get the... No, they want to see you looking like crap. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's... People don't like things that are overproduced. So, I agree. So that's why we got to just be like, yeah, yeah, um, 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 during this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're so grateful to have you out. Um, I'm glad that you were able to squeeze us in here and, you know. Oh, it's great. <laughs> Thank you so much. Is there, is there a, uh, for those listeners that really liked your story or want to reach out to you for whatever reason, uh, how could they do so? Uh, they could reach out to me uh, through my website, which is uh, cindycobalt.com. Or just Cindy, C-I-N-D-Y, at title-smart.com. Perfect. And we can have that. We'll we'll throw a little image over that so that people can get it. Yeah, because COBOL is, like, impossible. Mm -hmm. You could probably spell it and they'd still get it wrong. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody at work just calls me CK. CK. I like it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you all. 